wheat volatility is riding high. And the cattle price won't slide. We wonder what's going to happen next. Smart money's buying sheep. Your advice comes pretty cheap. Why don't you ask what we can do? Just the two of us. Making podcasts on the fly. Just, Just the, the two, two of us. us. Just, Just the two of us. Of us. You and I. and I. Welcome back to another Ag Watchers. Australia's most amateur agricultural podcast. Yep, that's us. That's us. Claim to fame. What's going on, Matt? Just a um, quick update, just the two of us again. That's it again. Got, well, got proper, proper intro music again. I thought people might be getting, you know, a bit sick of the the hokey music, as Clint Jasper describes it, and just go back to our our singing efforts. Just the two of us. Yeah, although we might, we, we've got a few things in the pipeline, haven't we? We just mentioned Warwick. Last podcast, we've been practicing a few other songs, so we'll see where we go. But I do like sure just the two of us. Yeah. Nice one. Um, market, lots of market. So, look, still kind of soft, broadly speaking, um, both for cattle and, and sheep and lamb. Sheep and lamb markets, you know, they've kind of been impacted more, I guess, in terms of if you look at how far down they are compared to this time last year, um, trade lambs down about nearly, I think it's 190 cents or thereabouts from this time last year, and, um, and mutton's down about 130 cents. So, uncharacteristically soft in winter you don't tend to see those markets softening in winter um and i keep thinking you know we're going to see a bit of an uptick uh, before we hit the spring flush uh, i still think that's the case but um yeah it just seems to be a bit of nervousness in the markets and for many factors which i'll go into in a second because i think they're the same things impacting both what, sheep. what's the what's the family what is like you're saying it's 100 odd down on last year but what does it compare to like say the 10-year average oh yeah no it's, Bag it's, way up yeah still still you know probably a couple of hundred cents above the you know the longer term trend so it's yeah it's weak ish for this time last year but we're still talking you know historic pretty good good strong levels you know trade lamb above 700 cents still which is you know good pricing in anyone's language really um from a historic perspective so you know can't be too you know, kind of despondent, but but it is frustrating, I guess, just because you know this time of year, generally in the winter, you, you see you know lower supplies and and generally a, an increase to pricing during this time, which I still think might come, uh, you know, as we head towards the last little bit of winter before the spring flush comes, we could see a bit of a, a, a tick up, but we're probably not going to see the peaks we saw last year. I think that's a bit of a stretch to think that it's going to get that high. Um, but anyway, we'll see. And, and the other thing is, uh, cattle markets um, weak as well, ish or weaker um, this week, but not as not as weak as um, as sheep and lamb. Like I said at the start, um, younger cattle, you know, on average, say something like the icky is about fifty cents below where it was this time last year. But the interesting thing with cattle markets was that this we've had a, a bit of a decline in heavy steer the last fortnight, but but just this week gone now, the heavy steer indicator rallied uh the national indicator rallied a bit um which is one of the only national indicators that gets reported upon in that cattle space that did rally uh, which is interesting so it's back up around 54 50 cents live weight which is a good strong price for heavy steer and that was despite the queensland indicator um crashing because and that was mainly just to do with low volumes so the queensland indicator kind of dragged the national indicator down a bit um and 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 it was because you know just a bit of a an anomaly i guess in terms of the mla reporting so i suspect with that heavy steer kind of starting to creep back up again that should give a bit of confidence back to the rest of the market but you know like i said there's a bit of nervousness very unprofessional oh, amateur bloody hell mate very unprofessional with the phone in the background but um 
Yeah, I just th- like part of the reason why I think we're seeing this this price declines. I, I know a lot of people are talking about disease, and I don't want to go too much into the FMD stuff because that's been all over um, the news of late, and people are well aware of it. I think that is part of the reason why we're seeing some nervousness in the market in terms of price. But I think also, you know, grain pricing still high historically, and you can go into that in a minute why that's happening with with regards to Russia and Ukraine. But I think that you know, the feedlots, I think, are, you know feeling the, the pinch of those high grain prices plus labor costs plus fuel costs plus you know fertilizer in some areas so um you know there's a few cost factors that are weighing on people's minds i think and not wanting to then chase livestock markets too high and the other thing i think too that people are starting to think about is is with climate like we've got um we've had three good seasons in a row on the east, east coast um you know historically the chances of us seeing another really good wet season next year is becoming less and less likely i think is i can't remember any time we've had four seasons in a row of good wet seasons so you know we're likely to go back to an average season next year and potentially in another year or so to a drier patch so i just think for you know multiple factors people are just not wanting to chase these livestock markets up and are letting it just kind of come back to a bit more sustainable levels so you're talking about production weather grains what about demand oh, you know, I, was ta- the- I was talking i was talking this morning to cnbc Mm-hmm. about uh, about grains generally but that was a big part of the question was you know all this fear of a global downturn we spoke about this in the past uh, briefly but you know look at lamb yeah lamb's expensive no matter how you look at it yeah mm. and and obviously it is, it is taken off in places like the us and, and whatnot but what happens if we do see a decent scale downward sort of movement yeah recessionary in the economy. yeah yeah i mean and because right, look, look at it look at yeah. look at inflation yeah, yeah. like pe- people are looking at what they what they spend the money on and that's reducing demand we're already seeing that across a whole bunch of indicators mm. so do we do we start to see you know demand pressure on lamb potentially although i did i did see um a, a week or so back <clears> that there was some emerging discussion out of the us that that you know they're looking a bit recessionary at the moment but i think some of the impact of interest rate increases there has actually cooled the economy a little bit, um, obviously, and, and that's what it's meant to do. So there was some suggestion now in, in markets starting to creep in that in the next year or so, we might start to see rate declines again because the, the higher interest rates have, have had their impact. Um, so, you know, yes, there's a, there's a bit of a dark cloud in the sense that this recessionary phase could, could take some of the, some of the demand out, um, but I think that could be just a temporary thing. Um, I, I can't see us going into, you know, in a global perspective, going into a long period of recessionary kind of stroke depressionary phase. Um, you know, Ch- China, I guess, is one area that you've got to probably keep an eye on just to see. Well, they've, they're having a bit of a real estate issue at the moment. Correct. And, and, a, and, a, and a lending issue and potentially still not really. I, I saw on the news last week or maybe it was early this week, they had all those workers that because of the heat waves in the Northern hemisphere at the moment, all these COVID workers that are all um, suited up to the max with, you know, a, a fainting and kind of passing out because of the heat in China. Um, you know, so obviously they're still battling with trying to control COVID and that's, you know, that's kind of impacting upon their economic growth. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. I think, you know, um, China and the U S just to see how they're tracking, but, I don't know if it, I don't know if we're going to roll into a series of many many years of low demand. I think it might just be a, a temporary thing. And and from that perspective, I still think the fundamentals over the longer term for sheep meat and indeed beef 
and demand is still reasonably good. So, you know, you might see a bit of a downtick, but I don't think we're going back to the price levels of what we saw, you know, five years ago where we're probably a current pricing halves or something. Um, you know, I don't think that's on the agenda. Looks like the competitors out the window as well now. Uh, in terms of? Beyond meat. Ah, yes. It's, it yeah. seems to have been on the nose completely now. It just it just doesn't seem to be able to do anything right anymore. House of, House of Cards, isn't it? Well, well, they, they they had a whole bunch of different sort of things that they were trying, and it just hasn't worked. Share prices tanked, and even uh, an ESG investment fund came out, uh, I believe, either end of last week or over the weekend, saying that Beyond Meat wasn't a suitable investment for ESG purposes. Mm. Yeah, which well, is quite interesting. Yeah, and and this is the thing too that I, I and we spoke about it years ago when we when we trialed the product ourselves that there, it's not bad. I, think, I think but I think there was a there was a lot of a factor of, of kind of curiosity that was driving hmm. that initial well that's why of, we bought it. Yeah but have I, you have you have you bought it since? No, no. Exactly. And and I <laughs> indeed I, I described it to the to the family here and obviously my son who's a keen um advocate of eating the real meat, he scoffed and walked away. But my wife and daughter are both, you know, kind of, I guess you'd call them health conscious types and they're not necessarily always keen on just loads like and loads and loads of meat, yeah, just like you. Um, so they were, they were curious about it, but even though they were curious, they haven't decided to go out and sample it themselves. So it's, and that's why I think the issue is you got people that if you're not a meat eater, then you, you potentially aren't trying to chase a product that's pretending to be meat. If you're yeah. a meat eater, you're going to probably eat the meat product, unless unless you know there's a there's a significant cost benefit in eating this other product, and okay. that's okay. that's what we said all along. When they get to a if, cost, when it's cheap, but they can't yeah. make it cheap. No, that's it. And so I just don't see that it's going to be a, a you know a huge competitor in that space. It's probably going to just remain one of these curiosity niche things, you know, unless unless they can drive the cost down significantly enough to appeal to a broader kind of commodity type you know uh, market i think but- i think ev- i think eventually it will mm. and and it is definitely a risk but i think beyond me are definitely on the nose by the looks of it and uh if you invested in crocs at the same in the crocs uh, on new york stock exchange at the same time as the beyond Meat ipo mm. you'd be in a much better position well from just, that pers- i'm just saying if people take my per- advice <laughs> From that if, if they've gone for if, if they've gone for high fashion rather yep. than rather than sort of novelty fad, fad novelty food, product yeah that's it yeah then, then um, you'd be quite soon. But speaking of products you could have that is high in you know nutrients, low in fat, you know health conscious things that you could eat. That's a meatish product. You can't go past black pudding or haggis, surely. Exactly. That's the invest. <laughs> Packed and Park. I wish I could buy shares in Packed and yeah, Park. Yeah. Well, if they ever list, if they ever list. We have to get on board. Um, now, exactly. what about, uh, so I mentioned about grain price in there in terms of, you know, some of the reasons why I think that's weighing on the livestock markets, but what is going on in uh, Ukraine? And, you know, is, is it, are there going to be grain flowing now or the port was opened and then bombed a day later? What's, what's the status? Look, I think my, my sort of initial opinion is don't hold your breath. And I think that's the opinion of, 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 of a lot of people around the place. Like we, we've seen that, that grain market globally fall basically since May when they started having these discussions. You know, it's a bit like that sort of episode of, you know, Friends. It's a bit like Ross and Rachel, you know, will they, won't they sort of get together? And, and I, I don't think they're together yet. Uh, and interesting enough, they, they signed the document on Friday night, I think 11.30 p.m. our time. 
Yeah. Interesting enough, they didn't actually sign the same document. Right. They, refu- they refused to sign the same document, and they signed two separate documents. <laughs> with, 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 and so, but when you look at it, it's again you've got five months of stored grain sitting there. You've got a number of vessels stranded there. Uh, but we're talking, it's uh, let's call it for want of a better word, a ceasefire on 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 those movement of attacking movements of vessels for 120 days, which. You know they've got to get the logistics back in check. They've got to. They have got a lot of grain sitting in, in sheds and silos, so they can start loading that. Uh, but I think it's going to take time to get it back up and running, and it will no, never be as efficient as it was during peace times. Um, I think my well, it's main. Not cons- just, pre- it's not just the actual port getting it out. I mean, obviously, you said there's there's there's, uh, there's grain in the port ready to go type thing, but it's it's the whole kind of supply chain from farm all the way down that is also problematic right so correct like if like there's obviously a harvest coming mm-hmm. as well in the in, in the coming weeks you know you've also got lack of labor you know a lot of a lot of those people who would be working on 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 that logistic supply chain are part of the war effort now and i don't know if i'd be particularly i feel i reckon i'd feel a bit nervous driving a truck uh, full of grain around ukraine at the moment Mm. You know, it's a pretty big target, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, so there's those concerns. I think, you know, the reality is, um, you know, can you trust Russia uh, to adhere to the, this um, agreement? Well, it took less than 24 hours before they struck the missiles into Odessa mm. uh, for to destroy a missile emplacement, is their words. But according to Ukraine, it was a pumping station. Um, so I think... It'll be interesting to see what happens over the coming weeks, but I don't think this will have alleviated many of the concerns of ship owners mm. and insurance underwriters. You know, it's still an active conflict. There's still mines in the sea. Uh, you know, I think the, the best benefit we'll have is for the ships that are there currently that will allow them to get out of the out of the port and, and move on. From an insurance uh, underwriting perspective, I would have thought acts of war would never be covered, right? Well, that's the issue. Like, is it yeah. covered? Is it not covered? Well, you can get insurance for anything. Yeah. If you pay for it. Yeah. You know, but I'd be saying that the premium on going into an active war zone where Russia has just hit the port of Odessa with missiles mm. would be relatively high risk compared to, say, sending a ship into Quinana, mm. you know, or anywhere else in Australia or, or anywhere else in the world apart from mm. Somalia. Mm. So, so I think that's. You know, that's the key. The key thing at the moment is, you know, can it be trusted? Will it will it last in the longer term? And uh, with 120 days, it's not that long, um, but it, it may create a bit of a relief valve for for some of those countries in the Middle East and North Africa. So the market re- react obviously, and the market you said was being pressured because of this potential prospect of something happening that was going to get some flows going, but. Since the missile strike, has the market reacted adversely to that and, and kind of rallied again? Yeah, so the two, the, when it was sort of starting to get announced, say, Thursday, Friday, that there was going to be a settlement reached, you know, the market came down by about 33 Aussie dollars. This I'm talking about CBOT for December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then this morning when it opened up with the, the sort of the Sunday overnights in the US, it was up 13. So there's a bit of trepidation, trepidation there that the agreement will fulfill its obligations how much of that how much of that 
international variation in price is translating into Australian variation price or is it just that our basis is whipping around backwards and forwards and and the local prices are just staying relatively kind of consistent look we've actually been we've been so a lot of, there's been a lot of complaints about basis over the past past year you know we, we've seen that that basis level extremely low compared to the rest of the world and but what we're seeing now is basically a softening of that basin level or, or narrowing of the narrowing discount. Of it, yeah. Yeah, narrowing, yeah. So, yeah. So if we look at ASX, ASX has had nowhere near the same falls that CBOTS had. It stayed yep. relatively flat, still fallen, but not much, uh, but it's narrowed the gap. And so if we look at uh, ASX versus CBOT, you know, it's negative a bit, positive a bit. Like last week it was, you know, on average, it was $29 positive. Mm. Whereas in recent, only sort of five, six weeks ago, you know, you're talking minus 100. Yeah. So really whippy. And, and, and I'm really interested to see what happens to it over the next six months as we get closer to harvest in Australia. Yeah. But again, the price in Australia are still sitting high, you know, especially in the West. The West yeah. is going to do a rip snorter over time. But generally, if we look at prices the last four weeks, they've just sort of there hasn't been a huge amount of movement, but it's it's still sort of pretty attractive numbers historically. Same as what you're saying with the lamb. It's come down, but it is still uh, pretty strong historically speaking across across all at a flat price across all commodities. Yeah, yeah. Like all grain commodities. And the other one is is freight costs. You know, we spoke about that um, downward pressure and on inflationary pressure mm. and we are starting to see that with things like containers oh and so and you, with your, your your economic kind of growth looking like it's easing a bit that's flowed through your shipping costs as well well if you look at containers containers have been mental the past two years because everyone's been demanding all these gadgets and gizmos from china you know they've been sitting at home buying off of amazon prime and just filling the house with crap and and that started to come away now and uh, that demand pressure is starting to come through. So, you know, we're seeing less demand for containers coming out of China, which has pushed the market down a bit. Uh, it's still high, again, still way higher than historically speaking, but it's definitely in the downward, downward, downward trend. trend. What about our mate uh, Chris Lawson from CIO? I thought I saw something on, might have been LinkedIn a couple of days ago where they're presenting some most recent moves for FERT. Is the FERT, FERT market globally continuing that downtrend also, is it? It's continued downtrend. It's still extremely high, historically speaking. Uh, but again, demand destruction has been, what's that old saying? Less buyers than sellers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's pulled the market down. And uh, look, but the reality is, does that translate to Australia? No. Probably not. No. It's too, it's too, it's too late for this year for Australia. Anything that's in is in and anything that's out is too far away. Yeah, and we're still talking about FERT prices above a 1000 bucks. yeah? Like in, from an Australian context, would it be? You want you take into account? I couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't tell you because there's no transparently available price. <laughs> I meant, I meant in terms of your uh, your kind of you know, your global model type thing. No, that, global, yeah. global models below that. No. Is it? But that, um, no, what I was meaning that model price plus whatever plus, the normal margin plus margin would be. on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that would still be if you added a, a relatively kind of normal margin. Say you'd be talking yeah. pricing. Pri yeah, people that are paying. You know, a thousand bucks or more locally still would be the case once you'd taken account margin of the house. We're assuming because we're assuming because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not available. Yeah. But uh, but it, and this is where it comes back to that concern we've had the whole time is this cost price squeeze. Mm. If 
if Ukraine opens up fully, like I'm not holding my breath on that, and we see huge volumes we're getting exported from there, then we, whilst a lot of it's already priced into the market, we may see a bit of pressure on that overall market. I was reading an interesting article on Twitter this morning. I was via Twitter that linked through to a, you know, some someone's blog post, and it's from one of these uh, US-based military strategists, which I, b- I believe is quite a knowledgeable fellow that was pushing it. So I don't know, you know, yeah, he seems respected internationally. They say he's not he's not a kook, this guy, um, but that was suggesting perhaps that by August we will see some significant change to the Russian military um, operations. I was saying. That they, the feeling was that the logistic situation in terms of the Russian military was running thin and now having difficulties getting parts and repairs and all this stuff. So they were seeming to suggest that uh, by August of this year, you know, that it might be a very much reduced, uh, you know, kind of war and and potentially even that the U- U- Ukrainian authority or Ukrainian uh, fighters and 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 uh, would be able to capture back some land in that in that eastern region that's been overrun by Russia. So be interesting to I, see if that's an accurate like description I, or not. I'm, I'm, I'm not a military strategist, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I have played loads of Command and Conquer when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, especially Red Alert. So I don't, Matt, you're probably the wrong age for that anyway, aren't you? But some, oh, some, of, the young ones will get, <laughs> some of the young <laughs> ones will get the reference. There was I, no I'll, computer games when I was a young man. We would, I used to play on, you know, just a chalk and draw, draw a chalk on the pavement outside well, the house. Like a, like a ring with a stick that you <laughs> ran down the street. But anyway, I used, I used to play uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert, so I think I've got some knowledge here. Yep. Um, uh, but but I, I just think, I think it'll go on for a while. I think the mm. conflict might end, but it will change and it will become more like what we saw in Crimea from 2014 till present, it'll just be little skirmishes. But the full-scale invasion doesn't seem to have really worked for Putin. Mm. But I can't see him backing down either. Yeah, well, anyway. it was, it, when once we publish this one, I might try and tack on the end of the uh, podcast, you know, kind of stuff, uh, this this particular link, because it was an interesting read, but whether, yeah, whether it proves accurate or not, it's another story. Oh, I think it'll change, mm. but I don't think it'll end. Mm. It will still be going on for a while. Mm. No, fair enough. So yeah, that's probably us. Quick update. Oh, see you when you got nothing done. Bye bye.